0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Taking it back to the old school. French vanilla. <laughs> Chocolate peanut butter cookie dough. Oh, God. Uh, that's Seriously, this is the best commercial ever. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers are riding that second wave of free agency. We bring you in-depth looks at Tavon Wilson, Zach Kerr, and discuss whether the 49ers did enough in free agency this year, and with me this week, to tell us what he would scream at Jared Goff if he had the chance. It's David Newman. (laughs)
1: Um I don't think I would scream at Jared Goff. He seems like a
0: nice guy. What's what's the explain. Please explain. Well. You and Sean McVeigh apparently have opposing views on this topic because there was a story in ESPN that really detailed the fractured marriage between McVeigh and Goff. And apparently it got to the point where McVeigh would just scream shit at Jared Goff and and not do the building back up and basically just rag on him all of the time. So the, the press conference that he had where he said, you know... I. You know, Jared Goff has to play better. Was the first time he threw him under the bus, but apparently leading up to that and after that, it was just constant like scowling and staring and just like you know some version of "you fucking suck."
1: Wow. And then it went,
0: and then it was like trade, get out of here. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, clearly I'm I'm summarizing. It was a great story in ESPN, sure. very very good reporting. But yes, it was a uh, not a good time in Los Angeles for Jared Goff. I mean, look, anytime
1: you have a chance to tear your quarterback down, you got to take that. Yeah, McVeigh, just learning at the foot of of, uh,
0: of Mike Nolan on how to tear down your quarterback in the media.
1: Really looking to just absolutely shatter my quarterback's confidence. That's always kind of what I'm going for, general lean there. It's great. It's great. But we are
0: talking about <laughs> Chelsea football. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, <laughs> this is the, the first podcast we're going to open by not talking about Chelsea football. What we will tell you about, though, is that we do have uh, a Samson Ebukam video up on the Patreon. That was a lot of fun to make. We're back into it on the Patreon. We've got another video coming this week uh, about Alex Mack, in case you want to see what Alex Mack is up to in his 2020 form. We're going to see what kind of center the Niners got this year. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of good stuff. Definitely check us out on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash better rivals to get visuals of what we are talking about here. We're also going to talk about some of the players that we are seeing in the second wave of free agency, because I feel like there was a pretty clear theme to the second wave free agency additions for the 49ers, and basically it was like, in case shit happens. Because you have got <laughs> Jaquaski Tart and, T- and and DJ Jones, both re-signed. Tart makes a lot of sense, especially if the team wants to maintain their multiplicity. David, you thought that he was probably one of the best options for the 49ers, even in this class of, of safeties.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you look at it, the way that they've been trending defensively, where they're you know doing a little bit less of the single high stuff, a little bit less of having uh, you know this a designated deep safety, a designated you know box or strong safety. Um, and, and you really end up in a situation where, you know, they're not necessarily fully interchangeable, but you do have a lot of overlap and guys doing similar things, um, at, at the two safety positions. So I think something like that is a role that fits tart very well. I think he can do kind of a little bit of everything. I don't know that he's, you know, great at any one of those things necessarily, but when he's been on the field, he's been a very solid player and I think he fits what they do are trying to do at least the way they've been doing. We'll see what happens with the Nico Ryan's, but um, the way they've been going, I, I think he fits that very well.
0: And you look at some of the players that are available. I mean, the big name players, players like Anthony Harris, th- they were not going to be within the 49ers price range. And then you move to a player like maybe Malik Hooker, which I, I got some, some tweets about the Twitter was a flutter, but Malik Hooker is definitely going to play that single high safety. Like that's what he does. And that's if he plays at all he is he would be on the order of the the kind of Jason Verrett kind of reclamation project and maybe it's one the Niners could have entered into but they definitely had more pressing needs because they needed well you know a starting free safety in order to do that uh, and they got it in Jaquaski Tart so definitely going to be a good signing on that front then you also got DJ Jones a fan favorite with some impressive clips comes back for another year um and and this is another player who's got some injury stuff yes but um has also had some really really high pl- level play on a couple of snaps here and there but still feel like he could be a, a good presence along the front who comes back on another one year deal um and and you know i mean the niners needed a nose tackle it's not a position that gets a ton of snaps but still a fair number of snaps in this defense
1: yeah i mean you're you know it's it's a spot that you're going to get 300 350 snaps maybe right over the course of a season um and, and so i think yeah, it's not something that you want to obviously spend, um, you know, a lot of your resources on. And I think the, the way that they were able to bring him back on, on a pretty inexpensive one-year deal, um, makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, uh, they're, they're familiar with him. They like him. Um, I, I think there is, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the fan base kind of feels like there, there's like some sort of untapped potential with him and, and, you know, who knows maybe, yeah, there, there's some better playing, uh, ahead of him. But I, I think like at this point we're kind of, also 4 years in he's been a, a solid like okay player um and i i don't really expect him to be suddenly much more than that I, but i think he's a good again for for the role that um you're you're looking at him in and the number of snaps that he's going to play on this defensive line um you know i i think it makes sense to bring him back I mean, last season he played
0: 420 snaps, and I think you're right, David. I think that some people see some of his really impressive play, and especially early on in his career, because remember he had that snap where he just walked back the Seattle center into Russell Wilson, and 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 I mean he's he's a powerful guy, he's a big guy, but I think you know similarly to some other players where the inverse happens, where they maybe start out a little crappy in their career, but they get really good. And people just hang the you were bad thing on their on their neck as an albatross and they can never, ever be good again because they were bad yeah. early in their career. I think almost like the, the inverse happened a little bit with with D.J. Jones. And then he had some really, really impressive plays early in his career. And and everyone thought that that's just what happens on the plays where no one's watching. Right. And and that's not necessarily the case. He's not a bad player by any stretch. He's a good you know, he's a good nose tackle, good rotational piece. But the, the Niners very clearly had a strategy in the second wave of free agency. And that was to sign the insurance policies for these players nearly at the same time that they signed these players. And we- those two insurance policies were Tavon Wilson, uh, who's a safety, and Zach Kerr, who I misspelled his name. I spelled it Zach with a K, uh, not mm. Zach. Yeah, I know. Zach. <laughs> Z- <laughs> uh, Zach Kerr. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, although someone did tell me that it-, it helps that Zach Kerr is Steve Kerr's son. And I, I did for just a brief moment think to myself, like, wait,
1: is he? Wait a second. That I, doesn't I don't check out.
0: I, no, it doesn't. But I thought, you know what? That's funny. I like that. I like that <laughs> a lot. So let, let's talk. We, you know who Tart is. You know who DJ Jones is at this point in their careers. But you probably don't know too much about Tavon Wilson or Zach Kerr. So we're going to give you our scouting profiles for each of these players. We're going to talk about a little bit of background, athletic profile, where they win. Any notes of caution? Uh, And then any other notes that we may want to bring up when it comes to the player. And first up is going to be Tavon Wilson. His best season was in Detroit in 2019. By and large, been a career reserve player, kind of bounced in and out of the starting lineup in Detroit over the course of four years. Uh, Matt Patricia was, you know, kind of spanned him as well as a previous regime. And he didn't play a whole heck of a lot last season. But man, his season in 2019 in Detroit, when he got all the snaps, basically, because of an injury to the other safety in Detroit, he played really, really good. Like he's an older safety, he's 30, but there's, there's some solid play and there's some solid film on this dude's resume.
1: Yeah. I think he's kind of been, I mean, you mentioned, you know, um, never really being a full-time guy or never really having command of a starting job kind of anywhere he's been, but Yeah, I think he's kind of throughout his career in the role that he's been given, you know, as as kind of a part time piece or an injury fill in or or whatever it may be, um, has largely been a a very solid player and is like done well with those snaps. I think when you you look at where he wins, to me, he does fit more of a mold of a, a box type player. I think that's kind of where he's excelled, um, you know, throughout his time in Detroit, especially, I mean, when, when he got to Indianapolis, I mean, you mentioned he didn't play, uh, you know, a ton of snaps, only 219 snaps in, in Indy last season. Um, and Indy does play more of, uh, kind of a lot of too high stuff. They play a lot of cover two. Um, so he does spend, you know, at least last season, more time being, uh, in, in kind of a deeper type role, but I don't know that that is, is necessarily the best way to use him. Detroit actually used him uh, at various points as basically like a, a, in their three safety packages, essentially is yeah. like their fifth DB on the field. So he played a lot in the box down is essentially like a nickel. Um, in, yeah, in a I was going to say right? he, yeah. it
0: looked a lot like where Cam Chancellor would be in the in the Seattle cover three. He's he going to be like an underneath zone player, even though he starts out as a safety Uh, in their cover three snaps
1: yeah so he's he's kind of the guy that's been um you know if if they start too high and they're going to get to you know some sort of single high coverage you know like a cover three or something like that you imagine them playing uh in in san francisco like he's going to be the guy that kind of rotates down right and ends up being one of those underneath guys if he does start deep or he's going to be just a guy that aligns down in the box maybe down over the slot um, and is going to be like you mentioned, again, uh, an underneath zone player, you know, he's going to be in that kind of curl flat area, hook zone area. Um, depending on, on kind of the coverage that they're doing. And I think he largely does well in that role. I mean, I think most of his positive plays are, are plays where he's able to kind of play downhill and he's able to kind of break on stuff that's underneath on, on like kind of the short throws screens, stuff like that kind of come downhill, make tackles. Like that's kind of, I think where, he really excels. Now,
0: he, when it comes to his kind of athleticism, he seems to be fast enough. Like, he's by no stretch a burner. I think he ran something like a 4 5 40, but he's 30 years old at this point. So, yeah. you know, like, his combine numbers are probably a, a little bit behind him. But you look at some of the plays where he was able to actually play in pursuit, and he caught Stefan Biggs in pursuit a couple years ago. He was covering Evan Ingram underneath on a crosser, and he was able to kind of make up ground uh, running across the field. And Evan Ingram is not necessarily slow. Um, he he caught up with Kiki Kuti, although Kuti had to you know make a couple moves and you know dodge a, a player here and there. But it seems like he's fast enough. His speed's not going to be a liability per se. Um, but he's no one's gonna confuse him with a burner at this point in his career. All that to say that that it kind of lends more towards the idea that he's probably gonna be more of that underneath safety uh, and play in the box.
1: Yeah, I I think cause when you look at it kind of notes of caution for him, I, I think pretty much all of the negative plays of him that I watched uh were stuffed down the field. Um, down the field, isolated in coverage. Um, it is just not really where he's very good. I, so I, I think, like, um, yeah, you, you don't want to see him spending a lot of time probably, like, in man coverage on on vertical routes. I think, um, you know, I, I do have a little bit of worry about him because... Uh, if you think about it as a quarter safety, so a lot of times in Detroit, right, when they were in quarters, he actually wasn't one of the two safeties. He was one of, he was basically playing that nickel role, right? So he was still an underneath defender in those coverages. Um, I, I worry about, so in, in quarters, a lot of times the safeties are going to have vertical responsibility. They end up matching up a lot of times with the slot receivers on any sort of vertical routes. And so you do have quite a few situations where you get isolated in coverage and you need to have, coverage ability down the field and I don't think that he's he's very good there I I think ball skills are almost non-existent he doesn't have I mean he had like four interceptions his first year um, and then had one the next year. And I think he's had three since then. Um, and, and it just like, he doesn't play the ball well. He doesn't find the ball very well when it's in the air. Um, I, I think I only saw one play in like the last five seasons on a vertical route where, um, he, he's like actually going up and challenging and making a play on the ball. Um, so it just wasn't, uh, a strong suit of his by any means. I don't think you want him in those coverage focused roles that are further down the field. I mentioned that he had a career year in
0: 2019, and in that year, he had his career high in terms of pass breakups, and that was five. Uh, and this is, you know, of course, from PFF. He has never had more than two pass breakups in any other season in his career. Uh, he had one last year, and then he had a, a couple of pass breakups earlier in his career, 2015, 2016. But other than that, uh, it's been largely nowhere near the ball in coverage. Now, do you think that he is locked in as the backup or do you think that someone like Wilson will push for playing time? Obviously, he's an insurance policy. He's someone who if Tarko's down, this is someone who they think can play that role because, yep, last year, I mean, Marcel Harris, I think the team knows, just like everyone else who's got eyeballs knows, that he is not the answer at, at anything other than a special teams player. He's fast. He's a bottom of the roster guy, but he's not the guy that you want filling in if you have injured safeties. And you've got Tarvarius Moore, and there was an experiment with him last year where he was playing on the field with Jimmy Ward, and he was playing more of that in-the-box role. But we did a Patreon video breakdown on him. We covered him extensively when he started getting playing time because we thought this is good for him. And then it was like, well, maybe playing isn't good, <laughs> uh, as good as we would hope. Because uh, yeah. I don't think that Tarvarius Moore is necessarily the answer when you ask him to play around the box. Uh, he just is not really built for that kind of in the muck type of play. And, and that's what the Niners ask of their safeties. they ask him to be able to play both coverage and in the box. So do you think that Wilson is locked in as the backup or do you think that he is, he's going to push for playing time when it comes to going up against Tart because that really is the incumbent starter at this point.
1: Yeah. I, I would be surprised if he's pushing for, for a starting job. And, and I, I think assuming health, which is obviously a lot to assume uh, with, with Tart. Um, but I, I, I think if healthy, Ward and Tart, I think, are the the right now the two clear best players. I mean, Tarverius more sure there there is a little bit more unknown with him. I mean, uh, what he showed in the time he got last season certainly wasn't as positive as we hoped, um, and and so I think you're a little worried. But it's still very early in the process with him. I think there's still, um, you know, very much hope that he could could improve and become a better player. But I, I think right now, based on what we know, Ward and Tart are the, the clear, I think, top two players. Um, and and I think Wilson, like what I, what I imagine would happen is if say Joukowsky Tart is hurt and he's, he's not available. I imagine they use a combination of Moore and Wilson to kind of fill that role, right? Where, where neither guy, um, really comes in and and just takes over a hundred percent of those snaps. I think you kind of see them more selectively utilized. Cause I think more, um, you know, if he is going to be, a good quality player that they can, you know, ever feel comfortable putting on the field. I think it is going to be in more of a coverage oriented role, right? It's going to be some of those things that Wilson maybe isn't quite as good at. And so I think you can kind of use both of those guys, uh, in, in tandem, you know, depending on what you want to do, what the game plan is and and all that.
0: Yeah. We know that the team was very good at adjusting their game plan based on the team that they were facing. And so if they were facing, you know, a team where they thought a lot of quarters was going to be their game plan, they would roll out a heavy quarters game plan or a heavy too high game plan. And then just a week later, they did that against Cardinals a week or two later, they're back to, you know, 60, 70% single high. And I think that's the kind of versatility that maybe someone like Wilson versus Moore brings. If you're going to play a lot of quarters You're probably going to see a lot of Tavares more. That's what he did very well in college at Southern Miss. And then if you're going to do a lot of single high stuff and and Tart is not available, then you go back to more of the the Tavon Wilson look with Jimmy Ward being someone who can go lots of other places. But we've also got Zach Kerr, Steve Kerr's son. Love it. (laughs) Uh, But he is probably the player that I am most excited about. Because this may be a player that is really going to be that value signing that the Niners are benefiting from having available because of the shrinking cap this year. The Panthers saved $1.3 million by releasing him. He's played a couple different places over the course of his career. He played in Arizona and he played for the Panthers. He also played in Denver. Uh, and, And one of his notable plays was a roughing the passer penalty against the 49ers in 2019. Uh, there, there seems to be like, what's funny is every time we sign someone, I'm like, did they have a good game or a notable (laughs) play against the Niners? Let's see if they did. Uh, and he did. It was a notable play, not a good one for Zach Kerr, but a notable play. This was a play where Jimmy hits, uh, Coleman for a big gain on mesh. And he runs up the sideline, uh, when they were backed up in their own end zone in 2019, uh, at home. So it was, you know, a fairly big play for the Niners. Kerr gets the penalty adds 15, but Zach Kerr, when you think of his athletic profile, he's a big dude, interior defensive lineman, but his athletic profile is one where he does have that initial burst. It's funny, we were talking last week about Samson Ebukam, and we said that even though he tested or timed really well, that, first, that explosive first step didn't really show up on tape. For Kerr, it, it does. He's got a 10-yard split of 1.72 seconds. That's on par with his former defensive linemate and first-round pick, Derek Brown. It's like, a, it's like a tenth of a second. Faster, slower—I forget which where he ends up, but that shows up on tape because he is at first step and on initial burst, real quick.
1: Yeah, I I think that was like the most surprising thing watching him is because yeah, you do see a a massive dude. I mean, I think he's listed at like three thirty-four. Like, yeah, I think he he immediately comes in and is like the heaviest defensive lineman on the Forty roster. Um, And it's not that he—I mean a player that size I think in the NFL is always going to have a little bit of power associated to him. I think it's a, a big shocker, right? If, if somebody like that can't push guys around every once in a while, and he he certainly is capable of that, but it is the quickness I think. And, and, uh, that stands out for how he wins most of the time. I mean, um, I think both as a pass rusher, I think, um, in the run game, Quickness is what usually is is what's getting him through the line, through his block, and, and in position to make plays. Um, I think he's he's got a really nice little uh, swim move that it usually kind of pairs with. Like, uh, it, it looks kind of funny. It feels like it would be slow. Like, I I, I can't remember. Um, Many other players that have this is kind of like a go to move. But essentially, if you think about an offensive lineman trying to punch his chest right with two hands, it's basically he's going to kind of shoot his hands up and swipe them out. So he's going to kind of spread his hands and knock the, the offensive lineman's hands away and then go immediately into a swim move. And and it just it like most of his pass rushing wins are on this. Uh he did it a little bit in the run game too, though a lot of times in the run game you have, you know, a little bit less time. So um you're you're kind of just going straight to the swim there. But yeah, it was something that was uh on his tape through multiple seasons, multiple teams was, was just kind of his go to. Um and I, I think, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I'm more excited about Kerr, even though, you know, again, we're still talking about a guy that at most, um, as a rotational piece, even if you think, I mean, we can get to this in a minute. I don't think there's any reason that why we should be assuming that DJ Jones should be getting more snaps than Zach Kerr right now. Um, but I, I, I think even whatever his role ends up being, you're, you're talking about a guy that's going to be right in that, that 200, 300 snap type of range. Um, but I think, when he's been on the field, he's definitely produced at a higher level than what we've seen from DJ Jones. And I think that's, that goes for both pass rush and run defense.
0: Yeah. He's over his career. He's never played more than 390 snaps. And that was last year in Carolina where he played the the highest number of snaps over the course of his career. So he's definitely a, like an interior interior guy. And and he's got a good base of pass rush. moves. When I mean, you talked about a swim, he has a, a good side chop. He's got quick hands. And and you think to yourself, OK, you, you look at their at their production because it's hard to quantify, you know, quick hands and explosion. We can tell you that that it's there, but it, this is a podcast. Unless you're watching the Patreon, you're going to be like, all right, prove it to me. Well, he has on his career about two times the number of snaps as DJ Jones. DJ Jones has got like somewhere north of a uh, thousand snaps. It's like eleven 1, hundred. Uh, and Zach Kerr has twenty two hundred snaps on his career. And by and large, they have about, you know, he's got 2x the the amount of counting uh, stats that he does, stops, things like that. But when it comes to pressures, he's got three times as many pressures as DJ Jones, and he's got three times as many sacks. And so you would expect that proportionately that he would have, you know, he would double up everything else because he's doubling up the sacks at the same rate. That's what you would expect. But he is so much better as a pass rusher that he's actually accumulating pressures and sacks at a much higher rate than DJ Jones from the interior of the line on the same number of snaps. He is more refined. He is, I think a little bit more athletic. Uh, And, and I think that he, this is going to be like the, the real value signing, I think for the team of players that they brought in pending Samson, Ebukam's development, uh, you know, what Chris Kostura can do with him. Um, But I think ready-made player, this is the guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he can, can step in right away. I mean, he he did play. I mean, he definitely is, is uh, has the profile of more of the nose tackle type guy and is going to be over the center. I think a lot in, in this defense, but um, that wasn't the only place that he played either. I mean, he played over the guard, played as a three technique um, at at different stops. And so I think, and he won as a pass rusher there. I mean, obviously he's not going to be a guy that like is getting significant snaps in your, your pass rushing packages, right at it, it three technique and going out there. But if you, um, you know, have him on the field and, and it's a pass play, he's not just wasting space out there, right? He's not just going to be a guy that's going to, sit in an interior rush lane and and just call it a day. Right. Like, uh, which is, is the case for a lot of nose tackles, right. A lot of nose tackles, um, aren't really going to provide much of anything. They're just going to kind of sit there, occupy the center, maybe a guard and, and hope that, you know, they're just going to try to get in the way if the quarterback fucking steps up in their lane. so, um, yeah, I think Kerr definitely provides more than that as a pass rusher. And, um, you know, I think he's obviously a solid in this role is one of the maybe only roles where run defense does need to be like a good component of your game, because you're probably going to play a higher percentage of run snaps than a lot of the other guys on defense. And and I think he, um, you know, holds up just as well there.
0: So are, we've, we've gushed about Zach Kerr. We've, we've talked some, some great things about him. Is there anything that would provide some caution for you as you're thinking about how he fits in with the 49ers defensive line.
1: Um, nothing too major beyond just like, you know, he's, he's not going to be a high snap count guy. I think just because of his size and, and, um, you know, the type of role that he's going to play, like, you're not, he's not going to come in and be as much as we like him as a player and, and think that, you know, I think that he could maybe even, um, become the starter over DJ Jones. Like, um, the, the overall impact isn't going to really be there. You know, um, that he's not going to come in and like add a win to the, the, the team, right. Because he's on the roster. Like he's just not going to play the volume of snaps to have that sort of impact. But I think he's going to come in and, um, you know, be a solid, reliable player for them on the interior.
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that he will. He should be the starter. At, at this point, if he's not the starter, there's probably going to be some home cooking there by Chris Kosurik and, and the 49ers. Or, or DJ Jones really stepped his game up for some reason, which is entirely possible as well. He could have a yeah. career this year and, and have some wonderful things on tape. But Zach Kerr, I think, is, is, should be the immediate starter. The only caution I think I would spread about Zach Kerr is really to George Kittle. I think George Kittle's crown as the mic'd up all-star for the 49ers, maybe in jeopardy, <laughs> maybe in jeopardy. There's a three minute and 33 second video of Zach Kerr mic'd up across a couple of games in Carolina. And it's fun. He's a fun guy. Nice. He's hilarious. There's, there was one, it's funny because you mentioned is his swim move and how, you know, that's, that's one of his go-to moves on the, uh, on the mic'd up. He hits the swim move, and, I mean, he just, like, I mean, the, the, the guard or the, no, or the center is eating dirt at this point, but they blow the play dead right after the snap, and Kerr loses his mind. He just starts going like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's, like he's like, I hit him with the swim! I hit him with the <laughs> swim! And he's <it's> like, <laughs> or something like that. It was really funny, and I was just like, oh, man, this guy's a character. Like, uh, he's just, he exudes energy. I feel like he's going to be a really good addition to to the team in the locker room cuz it's it's just fun. It was 3 minutes and 33 seconds of just a guy having fun. Uh and and that's always good when when he's good at his job but is also having fun along the way. You got to love it. He he to me those thus far this year, uh, you know, players that we've brought back, yes, you love your own players, but yeah. new guys brought in, this is my
1: guy. All right. Throwing throwing your chips in with the nose tackle. I like it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yep. Let's do it.
1: Let's take the the position that
0: matters uh, for 390 snaps. Those Those are the snaps I care about.
1: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get
0: your podcasts. Well, free agency is basically wrapped up. I mean, at this point, we we know what players are, are, are coming back. We know what players we're losing. We've lost two more. Kerry Hyder is a Seattle Seahawk. I mean, we knew that was going to happen. Uh, And they paid him, I think, like $16 million over three years. Too much, yeah. Yeah, which is great for the Niners because it means that Seattle is allocating their resources (laughs) in a ridiculous way. Uh, Really, the only move that would have been better as a Niners fan watching Seattle happening um, was paying Leonard Fournette a bunch of money and letting Chris Carson go. Like, that would have been really nice, you know, trading away Russell Wilson Signing uh, Fournette, Kerry Hyder, Akella, Witherspoon to big money deals, also equally great.
1: Yeah, let's. Get, um, I mean, let's get Russell Wilson out of there, right? Like, yeah, let's get him out of please. the division. Unless you want to send him over to San Francisco, then by all means. Oh yeah,
0: let's do it. Uh, C.J. Beathard is now a Jacksonville Jaguar, so the C.J. Beathard era is is over as well. I, uh, I have a buddy of mine who is a Jaguars fan. He is also a Chelsea football fan, but he. I, I've been. He. I mean, he's just fully understanding viscerally what kind of a general manager Trent Baalke is. And so I've been giving him a lot of shit about that. Uh, and today I just sent him a picture of CJ Beathard and I was like, look at this photograph. <laughs> it's like, I can, he's never heard these jokes before, but uh, we've lived in them. Yeah. We, we were, we were born in darkness. You've got a whole new audience now for this. <laughs> it's great. But now free agency is effectively over. What, what is the state of the roster? The team also resigned k Williams. So all their major holes are basically plugged. Overall, would you say that this is a, a good job in free agency based on what the the kind of daunting task the team had at the outset?
1: I think so. I I think it would be difficult to expect them or have expected them to do much more than they did. Right? We we knew that Trent Williams was going to be priority number one, and and that he was going to be the guy that got um, the the bulk of the free agent dollars that they had available to spend, and and that was uh, obviously the case. And, and then I think they did a good job at, um, you know, bringing back and it and it wasn't, I think it was a very expected free agency period, right? I think, yes, they added a couple pieces, you know, guys like Kerr and Wilson and, and th- that are going to be largely, you know, depth players. They're not guys that you're, you're expecting to come in and take over significant starting roles. Like it, it very much was, I think what we've come to expect from this team and in this organization, which is, we're gonna kind of try to run it back, right? We feel like we built a good thing for for that Super Bowl team, obviously. they were they were very um, pleased with the roster that they built that season and, and they've now tried two off seasons in a row to basically just do everything they can to keep that group intact because obviously last year got completely derailed with injuries and you didn't have that opportunity. Um, you know, to be able to see if, if this team can get back there. right. So I think that that was kind of the priority again, this off season was let's keep as much of this team intact as we possibly can. And, and uh, I think they've largely succeeded in doing that.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the big open question prior to this episode was really the, the nickel cornerback position. I had a whole section called a nickel for your slots, <laughs> that I was really excited to roll out. Can't do it. Now. K1 Williams has been re-signed. The, you know, th- that's maybe the only place I would say like I, you know, but this just goes to the philosophy of me as, a, as if I were a hypothetical GM here, I probably would put a bit more resources in the secondary than I would necessarily in, in Samson Ebukam. But for the 49ers, I get their logic. And K1 Williams is still a, a great player. I think you are now with K1, you only have a year long deal. And, you know, you're not paying for a, you didn't sign with a three-year deal. You're not paying for an age 33 slot corner at this point, which I think is probably good for the Niners, but also good for Kaywon in as much as he gets to go and maybe get some money next year. Um, surprised that they have not, that the Jets have not been able to pull more people away. Tevin Coleman is the only guy so far, I think, that they're signing, um, which is interesting in and of itself. But the, 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 does the nature of the one-year contracts in this case worry you? Um, Because I agree. I think that they've done a, as good of a job as you could have expected given all the holes they needed to fill. But a few of them are really just one-year deals. So are they really just kicking the can down the line one year? Um, And and are they really set up in this case to to do that? Or are they putting all their chips in to say, like, is this going to be the year, and then what?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I think they're absolutely kicking the can down the, the, the line another year, and I think it makes sense for them to uh, kind of do that. Right. I think that's just kind of the nature of the way this season and, and this market, right. It is right now. Right. I mean, everybody is kind of dealing with, um, you know, less cap space than expected. And, and you have a lot of players that are taking smaller deals than they probably would have in, and I think a normal off season. And so, um, I don't think they, they were, I'm actually kind of glad in a lot of ways because a, a lot of these moves, I don't know, I think it changes how I would feel about them. If suddenly these are like long-term, you know, solutions that they think that, that, that they have. Right. So I think a lot of these guys, yeah, bring in, you know, depth pieces, take your, your chances on guys like Zach Kerr for a one-year deal. Right. Like, do do that kind of stuff right now. And and you have so many holes, especially I think, you know, from a depth perspective on the defensive side of the ball, you had a lot of bodies that you just need to add. And so I think it was kind of inevitable that they were going to go with a lot of one year deals to, um you know, with some cheap kind of role type players that they were going to bring in. And I think that's largely a good thing, because I don't know that there are many of these players that they wanted to, like the ones that you want to lock up i think they locked up right like um trent williams obviously is is a guy that you're you want to be around you don't want to have uncertainty at that position and so you lock him up for a long term deal but for for a lot of the other spots i think yeah you, you don't want to commit too hard cuz i don't know that any of them you know especially a lot of the defensive pieces are are guys that you really yeah, i hope you you hope you're in a better position than having to start guys like you know, Emmanuel Mosley, for instance, um, you know, it, it is one of your top two corners right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the th- that a lot of contracts in the NFL are really one-year deals with a non-one-year deal wrapper. Yeah. And so I feel like this is just being transparent about the fact that it's a one-year deal. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm like, at that point, it's like, I, I don't know that it is functionally different. It's only functionally different if the team would like to retain control and then doesn't have the option to. And when you think of someone like Jordan Willis, who was also just recently re-signed, I think you can kind of find the Willises of the world out there. These are the replacement-level players. So I don't know that you're gaining a whole hell of a lot there, that that's not really someone who's entering the calculus too much. To your point, the players that matter, like Trent Williams, are signed for, de- uh, for a long-term deal. Even Emmanuel Mosley was signed to a two-year deal. I feel like a two-year deal for him is kind of Right. Because it's like let's see if if you can actually put it together over two years. You're more valuable than just one year, but really let's see what this is like. And and Samson Ebukam was really he's like a one year deal wrapped in a two year wrapper because right. what they did is they just pushed some of that guaranteed money a little later down the line. But there's there's no guarantee or there's no large guarantee in year two. So if you need to cut it, you get like a one million dollar you know dead money hit and, and and you're done with the whole thing. So I I don't mind it at all, and, and I think that you're gonna see a lot of really interesting talent influx in this draft because now you're not tied. You're not so tied to a single position that is so glaring that you really need to draft that position right at the top of the board. Um, I, I do think that that corners probably still a focus, but what positions are, now that we know kind of what this roster now looks like and feels like after free agency, we're going to start our draft previews next week. What positions are you looking to start to fill in this draft, especially in that first round, given where the roster is right now.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, cornerback still has to be up there for sure. Like, they, I, I don't think you can um, say that, that we just can't add any more guys there. You're in a position right now where Dante Johnson is your primary outside corner backup, right? Um, I want to know what Dante
0: Johnson has on his phone. Uh, like, what video of Jed York <laughs> he has on his phone. Like this guy has made a career of one year deals. I I wonder if because of the volume of one year, if I mean, because one year basically is guaranteed money, right? Yep. How much money he's made compared to other players that are of similar skill level. I feel like he is, I don't know, like I feel like he's the, the Fitzpatrick of cornerbacks, but like not as good and not as good of a dresser maybe like this this it's a it's a remarkable string of one-year deals.
1: Look, yeah, for for a guy who has never really done much of anything of note on the field, he he's managed to hang around quite impressively for he sure. He is
0: the originator of the Johnson rule of the better rivals drinking game and for that he will always have a special place in my heart. So you do <laughs> not besmirch Dante Johnson.
1: <laughs> but yeah, beyond that, I think, you know, you're looking at corner for sure. Um I think you probably it's it's less of a a need and um you know, than it's been in years past. I think you're probably looking at adding a receiver at some point in the draft, um, and then I think you're you're likely looking at another interior offensive lineman. Um, so those are, I think, kind of the spots that initially stick out. I mean, I think I know a lot of people um, have have kind of put defensive line again uh, as as a position to look at. You know, for this team in the, in the first round, but um, I don't know. I w- I think that would be a mistake and, and they just like, they're in a good spot there. Right. I think you have your high end talent, um, with, with Bosa and Armstead, you're hoping that your first round pick Kinlaw last year is going to take a step forward. So you've got some kind of top end players there. And I think now with after free agency, you've done a good job at adding some additional depth at that, that spot. So yeah, I don't think that that needs to be a big priority, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of the three spots that stand out most to me. And of course, like I mean quarterback, right? Like quarterback is gonna be the one in the first round that is a, a big question mark, but um that that's kind of its own separate thing.
0: That's the only one that I would have added at this point is is really quarterback. That's and that's a big and I don't know that the team feels the same way about needing to invert resources into that position. But I do feel like if at twelve you're staring at Trey Lance, uh you've you've gotta think real hard about pulling that trigger. And honestly, even if you're staring at Mac Jones at twelve. I think you got to consider pulling the trigger because even if he is as good as Jimmy Garoppolo, right. Kind of like that, not really elite, but you know, is going to be a, a good person to run the system. Well, you can do it for like, 12 million dollars less than you're paying jimmy garoppolo which allows you to make the team around probably a lot more than
1: that honestly yeah i was thinking like
0: one for one year right um it's even for it would be you know over the course of i guess you know five years or whatever yeah i mean you you
1: get suddenly like you know even if it's not right away right even if if you assume um in that situation that that jimmy's still the starter in in 2021 Um, and then you look to move on after that. I mean, you're looking at, because you've got the, the fifth year option, right. With the first round pick, you basically have four seasons then where you have a cost controlled starting quarterback, um, that that's going to be making a lot less if he, if he's, you know, playing, if we assume in this scenario, right. That he comes in and can do at least as good of a job as we've seen from Jimmy, like, the value that you get from that is incredible because now suddenly you can take like whatever the, the 15, $20 million that you save by not having Jimmy Garoppolo on your team. And you can put that in other places. Yeah. In, in a single year.
0: Yeah. And, and I would, I would probably put uh defensive end uh, on, on the list as well, but I'm not talking about spending, although, you know, Quiddy pay and, and some other people that we've talked about uh, are, are going to be probably tugging at, at John Lynch's heartstrings, I do think this is where maybe you look for an athletic upside player a little bit later in the draft just to kind of round out your roster. Hopefully you can hit with something like that a little bit later. Maybe, I don't know, in the fifth round. That seems to have gone well for the Niners <laughs> at other positions. Um, but yeah, quarterback is still the one. And, and the Niners are still linked to quarterbacks, even now in free agency. The free agency pool of quarterbacks is basically dried up. It is, it is not something you want to go and dip your toe in because it's basically concrete. But the Niners were rumored to be interested in a trade for a quarterback. David, have you heard about this quarterback and how excited are you?
1: Um, I did hear about this just before we we started recording. I, I found this um, and I am not excited. I don't it know. is Gardner Minshew, Mr. Gene
0: Shorts himself. Grow out your mustache. Give yourself Fu Manchu. Let's do it, David. I'm, I'm in for having Gardner Minshew as a backup quarterback.
1: I'm in for having Gardner Minshew as a backup quarterback. I'm not in for giving up anything of significance in order to get him, so that he Define can Define significance.
0: Quarterback. Like I'm thinking, like, like a fifth round pick.
1: Okay, maybe a fifth. Yeah, sure, fine. It, but but like, do we really think that he'll go for a fifth round pick? I, but yeah, I think like anything like that's the high end, right? I think anything in the top four picks or top four rounds. Excuse me. Um, no, like I, I'm just not.
0: Not I'm I'm in I'm in for a fifth round pick. I might even be in for a fourth round pick, only because you know Shanahan is going to try to draft like uh, Mills from Stanford in the third round. And so it's like Mills in the third round, Minshew with a fourth rounder. Like I feel like at that point, you know, I, at least I know Minshew is a serviceable a, a serviceable backup in the NFL with a fourth round pick. So I say, why the hell not? I think that Minshew is not. He would absolutely be an upgrade over Mullins or Bethard easily. I do not think he would be an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo, which is why I think he would be a fine backup. The one thing that Minshew has going for him that no other quarterback on the 49ers roster currently has is his ability to hit some of the big time throws, not at like an exceedingly high rate, but at a higher rate than the Niners have seen in quite a while, even at his peak. Jimmy Garoppolo's big-time throw rate was like 2.6%. Uh, and that was in 2019. It's not high. Uh, you look at someone like Garner Minchu, and, you know, yes, he's got his flaws, uh, and, but he does have a big-time throw rate of like 4.6%, which was actually a little better than Kyler Murray last year. So, I mean, he has the ability to make some really good NFL throws. I think he's inconsistent, and overall that's why he's likely slotted in as a backup, but he would be the best backup quarterback the Niners have had in a while.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think as a, as a backup, he's a clear upgrade, right? Yeah. And I I think like he's got, you know, kind of a noodle arm uh, a little bit, but he's, he's, that doesn't stop him from taking some chances, right. And taking some shots downfield occasionally, which is, I think, the, the bigger problem with the 49ers quarterbacks, right, is just nobody seems to even be willing to look that direction and, and to throw the ball down the field. And so I think, um, you know, having somebody who might bring that element in there, I mean, obviously, like, I would rather have him than, than Flacco, right, which was the one that was rumored last week when we were talking around this time. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, like, he is a guy that belongs on an NFL roster as a backup. He's just not a lot more than that.
0: I don't know what some fans obsession is with Josh Rosen, but there is like a Josh Rosen hive. And they think that all Josh Rosen needs is a little bit of the Shanahan dust. And that's going to make him sprout into a fully functioning NFL quarterback. I think that if Gardner Minshew, if, if the Niners trade for Gardner Minshew, I think he is immediately leaps and bounds better than Josh Rosen is. And 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 Josh Rosen and, and Josh Johnson at this point, are fighting out for maybe a practice squad spot if that's still even a thing uh, next year, or, or I guess this year, um, or they're going to be looking for jobs, or they're going to be the third quarterback that's only going to get starting spot, like any kind of experience, if the entire season goes down the tubes again. Um, but I don't think Josh Rosen is even as good as Gardner Minchu at this point.
1: I think uh, the, the like, Updated uh, depth chart that that Barrows and Lombardi did on The Athletic um, here this week um, that, that kind of shows an updated look at the team after free agency here kind of sums it up. Like they have Jimmy Garoppolo, QB1, hypothetical who knows QB2 just blank, right? And then Josh Rosen, QB3. So like <laughs> the, the, the field is basically QB2 over Josh Rosen right now. And I, and I think that is a, a kind of good way to look at it
0: the field i just you know I, I love it uh it's it's gonna be great yeah but f- for whatever reason i don't know what that josh rosen love is but it's out there it's real he just I, maybe it's the ucla connection i don't know i can't figure
1: it out don't but do I'm that in. to yourself don't don't get uh, like don't have hope for josh rosen don't do no, that i to thought yourself. you were just gonna say don't have hope <laughs> i mean i could have i, I could have stopped there but hey dude do, dude do dope fuck hope let's run the jewels <laughs> for you it's philosophers
0: of our time killer mike gotta love them <laughs> It's, I think I would be, I would actually be mildly excited for Gardner Minshew just because he's a personality and like yeah. this, this should be fun. And like, yeah, let, sure. if yeah. my backup is rocking jean shorts, he's a never nude. If he's, you know, rocking a weird mustache, I'm here for it. Let's, <laughs> let's do it, man. A
1: never nude. Fuck.
0: That's gotta be the reason why he loves jean shorts because no one else in their right mind would love jean shorts unless they were a bicycle riding flannel mm. wearing uh you know kind of pacific northwest uh type individual and you know what there's nothing wrong with that that's just a vibe it's i have a
1: feeling that gardner Minshew loves to be nude (laughs) (laughs) he's closer to an always nude than a never nude
0: uh yeah you know what we should uh we should ask george uh george and eric had a, a big long conversation with uh with Gardner Minshew on their pod a couple weeks back. Uh, I should, uh, we should see it, that. That was the important
1: question, right? that's, that's what we were missing.
0: Yeah. got to do it. Uh, well, I think that does it for this week's edition. I'm trying to think if we've got anything else to hit. I mean, now it's basically going, going to the draft tape. Everyone is always like, you know, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? For the last four months, I've been like, I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got to watch the tape. I felt like Mike Singletary, like, don't know what happened. Got to, got to watch the tape. Yeah, you know, I don't know why that's a Mike Singletary impression. That was terrible. That sounded more like fucking Coach O than it did Mike Singletary. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's now it's time. We're going to get into it. I mean, we're we'll look at cornerbacks. We've got some cornerback news this week. We'll look at quarterbacks. We'll look at some important bits. And we'll see uh, we'll see who we like. I've got a running list of people that I want to take a look at on the films. Uh, so it'll be good. And we'll put all those up on the Patreon too. Everything that we see, we'll put up on the Patreon for you so definitely go there david where can they find
1: that stuff on the patreons uh they can find it patreon.com slash better and yeah we should be you know i think we'll probably look to get uh i would imagine a zach kerr video maybe a Tayson, uh, Tavon uh wilson video and then yeah i think especially once we get into um some draft stuff here we'll we'll try to call out i think some of our you know favorite prospects in the lead up and then of course we'll have you know detailed stuff on on everybody before you enter select after a fact
0: Our Alex Mack video will be up on the Patreon shortly. Uh, So that's where you will want to go and check out those items. And even if you don't actually buy us a beer, you can still see the Trent Williams video that we did at the end of last season for free in case you want to do a little bit of uh, film scouting and see what you get on the Patreon. So thanks for tuning in. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. As always, go Niners.